0: Good evening and welcome to College Success For You. This is Professor Soriano, your host from Seton Hall University and Keene University. I hope you tune in every week and listen to some insightful commentary about the tips and tricks your mama never told you about college life. Good evening and welcome to College Success For You the place to find the tips and tricks your mother never told you about for succeeding in college. How many times have you been caught in the trap of I should do something or I shouldn't do something else? You have an idea about going to a small party and meeting new people. I should go to that party and get to know others, you say to yourself. I'm new on on campus and don't know many people, so I should go. At the same time, You're nervous about going just because you don't know many people. So you might start thinking, how will they look at me? Will they think I'm a dork? Or just how am I going to make conversation with people I don't even know? Maybe I shouldn't go. That kind of inner conflict happens all the time. In this case, you talked yourself out of going to the party. And the main reason, believe it or not, is that your should statement got in the way. After this short commercial break, we'll take a close look at how should, should not, and must or must not statements stop you in your tracks and cause you needless suffering. Welcome back to College Success For You. Now let's take a look at how your shoulds can collapse collapse your world. Research from the fields of psycholinguistics and neurolinguistics found that language contains underlying meaning that influences our behavior which is usually hidden from the conscious mind. So when thinking in terms of should, there are two underlying meanings. The first takes us away from the present moment or the here and now. So when you think or say, I should ask that girl or boy to the party, what you're really meaning is, I'm not sure if I should ask that girl to the party, or I'm not sure if she'll say yes, so I don't want to be rejected. What that should statement does is take you away from reality in that since you should ask her, you're really saying you won't ask her due to the fear of rejection. Now, to ease the fear of rejection, however, you need to change the language and say or think to yourself, I would like to ask that girl to the dance or I would like to ask that boy to the party. In this example, you've opened up your possibilities of actually asking her or him because you've given yourself a choice. In turn, the choice reduces the feeling of being trapped in the pressure of you should ask him or her. And when you don't ask her, the should just keeps rolling along, backed up by more should statements. I should have asked her. I knew it, which causes regret, or... I could – same idea as should, by the way – I could ask her to the next dance when I feel more confident or get to know her more, which is really creating excuses for yourself. And your could or should statement casts doubt on what you really want to do. You could ask her, but then again, you could not ask her. As you can see, without giving yourself a choice, you place yourself out of reality because you are avoiding reality and then you place yourself in the regret dungeon and follow it up with making excuses for not asking her to the dance in the first place so the logic is very circular it keeps coming back to the same to the same results not making a decision you know sort of like freezing in between i want to ask someone something or you know i should ask someone a question and I maybe I should not ask them. In the context of a relationship, let's take another look at this. After you make a mistake or forget something important at home, mom or dad hits you with a salvo of shoulds. You should have known I needed the car. You should have remembered your homework. You're, you knew your mother wanted you to make dinner tonight. You should have done it. Or why didn't you? which is an implying of a should. Also consider this example. You and your boyfriend or girlfriend are on a date, and it's been three months. But since he didn't think of that and failed to buy a small present or card, you wait and wait for him to mention your three-month anniversary. But he has no clue. Or on the other hand, she has no clue. Now you give him the silent treatment and the cold shoulder. Now why is that? Well, in terms of our topic for tonight, it's because you're thinking in terms of a should. He should have remembered. He must not think it's important. A must is the same as a should. Of course, he or she notices your offhanded attitude and asks if something's wrong. Oh no, no, you reply, nothing's wrong. At this point, a conversation about your anniversary would be a better approach at getting to the issue. But he should have remembered, your mind screams. And you shut yourself down and drift away from reality and into should land. Sort of like Disneyland, you know, some kind of fantasy that you're making up in your mind. And the more the poor guy is guessing about what's wrong, the more momentum the should start to gain. To the point when he asks again, what's wrong? And you challenge him openly with, you should know what's wrong. <laughs> so as you can see, this goes nowhere. This is a no-win situation all caused by those nasty shoulds or musts or ought thinking patterns. So the thinking patterns or the language that you use creates the thought pattern and the feelings behind the language. And that's why we have to try to reframe things. Evidently, what's wrong with this picture is that now both of you are out of reality by failing to celebrate your three-month anniversary. Or discussing how easy it is for people to forget important situations in our fast-paced world. And that happens all the time. All of us are just overwhelmed with responsibilities and activities. And if you're a college student, uh, you've got your courses, you've got your homework, uh, some of you work, you have your social life. And it's, it's not an easy task. And I would never say that it's easy because it, it's not easy. But let's look at another language debacle that causes grief. It's called the I can't syndrome. Now, in academic terms, a major test comes up and you feel unprepared. Immediately, you think, I can't take this test. Or you might say something like, I'll never pass this test whose underlying meaning is really, I can't take this test. So it's really one and the same. Again, by using this statement, you are pulling yourself out of the reality of preparing for the test. So the second underlying meaning behind this language of I can't take the test really means I won't take the test or I don't want to take the test. So it's good and healthy to get in touch with what you really feel. Now, just because you really feel that you don't want to take the test or you're saying to yourself, I won't take the test, doesn't mean you're not going to take the test. But it does make you aware of the underlying feeling behind the language, which gives you more awareness. Once you have that awareness, then you can make a more rational decision as to prepare for the test because you know you have to take the test. You know it's important to you. But in the meantime, I don't want to take it as test is stupid. It's too hard. I hate this course. Okay, fine. Feel that way. Nothing wrong with it. Doesn't mean you have to act on it. But the awareness of your feeling that way actually frees you up to make a more, let's say, realistic decision. Or a decision that's more in line with what you really need to do. So when we change the language around to something like this, I would like to take the test, but right now I'm not prepared, it puts you in a more favorable position to prepare for the test. And thus, it reduces your anxiety about the test, because now you're looking at it from a different lens, so to speak. What you've done is reframe the statement and put it in line with reality. So if we return to that relationship example, Um, it might go something like this. You and your boyfriend or girlfriend finally discuss how wonderful your evening turned out. In the course of the conversation, he asks you to drive him to Maine the next day, which is a six to eight hour drive. However, you have a social event at your parents' house that's been scheduled for months. Immediately, you might think, excuse me, I can't do that, which really means you won't do it or you don't want to do it. So you reframe the statement to, I would like to drive you to Maine, but my parents' business party is tomorrow, and I'm scheduled to present a speech. This statement is more in line with reality and much better received by the other person, especially if you had said, I won't drive you to Maine or I don't want to drive you to Maine. Hitchhike, take a bus, or call Uber. And that wouldn't do very much uh, good for the conversation, the relationship, I don't think. And let's take a look at this example. So Billy and Janet come home from dinner. And Janet asks, would you run out to the store and get me some ice cream? Or what about the situation at home when your dad says, Billy, I want you to cut the lawn and gather the leaves up. I can't do that, you think, which means I don't want to do it. How many times have you been asked to do something you didn't want to do and and reacted with, I can't do it? But again, the underlying meaning is that you don't want to do it. Now, rather than get angry or upset by stubbornly clinging to your I can't statement, the better option is to reframe I can't into I really don't want to do it in your mind. Because in terms of courtesy, I wouldn't say, I won't do it and I'm not going to do it out of spite or some kind of revenge as a response to someone's question. I wouldn't say that out loud, but it's okay to think it and be aware of it. That would only serve to shut down the communication and you'll be back to the cold shoulder treatment. However, part of the reframing process could go something like this. Billy Bob, I want you to cut the lawn and rake the leaves. Okay, dad. Right now, I need to take care of something important, but I'll get to it later, I promise. In a relationship, the I won't do it could go like this. Janet, could you take me to the mall later? And Janet replies, I'd like to take you to the mall, but my mother needs me to help with dinner. We could go after that or another time. This reframing of the statement keeps the communication open, and stabilizes the feelings of both parties. So you're not saying, I don't wanna do it, I won't do it, you know, take a hike. You're saying, yeah, I would like to do it, but right now I need to do something else. Can we come back to this later and maybe I could take you to the mall. So these are communication skills that need to be practiced so that you can put them into, into action. Now, there's an important note here We're not really working on communication skills in this podcast, but we are alerting you to be aware of your language and its meaning. To be aware of your real needs and desires is an important step in building your individuality. When you're aware of what you really feel, when you're conscious of the true meaning of what you want to say and how you want to say it, that puts you in context with reality and allows you to express what you really feel rather than deny your feelings of not wanting to do it. So tapping into the real meaning and feeling behind what you are thinking is psychologically and emotionally healthy. So how does this apply to academic situations, such as you're not wanting to take that test or write the essay? Well, when you're aware of what you really mean, you can make decisions in your best interest, as I mentioned before. In other words, you won't be fooling yourself into thinking how tough or rebellious you think you are, or act out of spite. Consider the student who knows he doesn't want to take the test. Once he evaluates the statement and reframes the the statement that he's thinking about, he'll see how irrational it is, especially when he considers that the test is important to his grade. At the same time, the student is aware of his not wanting to take the test. Thus, he can experience his not wanting to take the test and make a decision to take the test. In other words, it's, it, it's one of those paradoxes of life that, that seems to throw us a curve every, uh, every week or so. In other words, he's allowing himself to feel uncomfortable, yet he places himself in the position to accept his discomfort and manage it by making an important decision to prepare for and take the test. His rational emotive mind is therefore in balance. So again, it's okay to have the feelings, but we got to know what those feelings are. And once we recognize them, then we can move on, reframe the statement, reframe the thinking behind it, and then move into a more grounded approach to making decisions that are in your best interests now in janet and billy bob's situation they both realized the truth of the real feelings and at the same time processed those feelings by reframing their language and thus the results so from now on watch your language would you and be aware of the underlying meaning of what you and others say this will reduce a lot of stress and anxiety put you in touch with your real feelings and increase the quality of your communication. You could practice this technique on a daily basis because part of our thinking, as we move on from one experience to the other, there are so many things that we say, I don't wanna do this, I don't wanna do that, I I don't like this, I don't like that. And you could listen to people talking in the cafeteria or as they pass by, you know, as they're walking from class to class. And you'll hear this kind of language. You'll hear this, I can't, you know, I won't, I should do this, I shouldn't do that, I could do this, you know, I should go study right now, I should go have lunch right now. Again, every one of those shoulds like pulls you out of reality. And the I can'ts and I won'ts kind of build stress and anxiety. So, So why use this kind of language in the first place? I mean, we're so used to it, it's not going to be that easy to get rid of it. But you could start by being aware of it you could even write it down in your little notebook i can't statements and put the date and every time you think of an i can't statement or an i should statement you know you put a little check mark there and you you could be like ben franklin you know he used to put little black dots when he made a mistake <laughs> like he wanted to deliver honesty and then when he when he wasn't able to do it when he found himself kind of stretching the truth, he would put a little black dot next to honesty and go, oh man, I I did this four times today. (laughs) And he kept track of it. Uh, It's in poor Richard's almanac. Um, So you could actually be like a scientist and keep track of how many I can't statements that you think of on a daily basis or how many I shoulds or should nots. And it'll give you a, a good realistic view of how our mind and how we use our mind to think can really trick us and screw us up. So I want to thank everyone for listening to College Success for You tonight. I hope you enjoyed what you heard and you put these ideas into practice. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, be safe and be cool. Well, that about wraps it up for tonight. I hope you enjoyed listening to College Success For You. I'm your host, Professor John Soriano, coming to you from Seton Hall University and Kane University. I hope to uh, see you all next week, or rather, have you all tune in next week for another episode of some insightful commentary about college. Have a good evening.